June call-ups. We'll go over some of the top prospects who were just called up to action and the fantasy strategy behind them too. Plus, waiver wire, pitching preview, mailbag, and injuries. Pierre Camus of Rotobowler joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast, presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. June is almost over, almost half the baseball season. How are you doing, Ruven? I'm enjoying these games, watching all these team players hit for the cycle, watching all the strikeouts, and watching the home runs fly out. It seems like they're flying out at a much faster pace than they were earlier in the year. Yeah, it's going to be kicked into high gear. Summer is upon us. We are about the third day of summer. Uh, Can't wait. Very excited. And I'm very excited for this episode. We have a fantastic guest. He's the editor over at at Rotoballer, Pierre Camus. How are you, Pierre? Doing great. Thanks for having me back one more time. Oh, always glad to have you. It's always a great show. And uh, we have you on to do our call-ups episode, June is known for some call-ups, either some post-Super 2 or some prospects or whatever. Uh, and there are a couple of uh, uh, high-profile prospects, rookies, as you might say, in the majors. So we'll talk a little bit about that. First, let's talk a little strategy regarding it. And, um, you know, just to throw out the general thing to you, Pierre, what is your strategy and timing in fantasy of picking up the, the June call-up? So are you someone who holds these call-ups all year that you draft them and you hold them, you sit them on your bench? Do you pick them up a month in advance in May? Do you wait until they're called up in June? How is your strategy of of how you uh, uh, work with the call-ups and on your fantasy rosters? Well, I'm a lot more selective than I used to be. And I'll tell you that because even though we see a lot of these prospects get called up younger and younger, um, you know, and some of them now we, we don't have to wait for the call up, right? A lot of these guys break camp, you know, they, they make the, the roster out of spring training. And, uh, the thing is as, as talented as they are, and even if you say, okay, they're, they've got their shot, it doesn't always happen right away. And we see so many of these players, uh, even the high end prospects, um, you know, think about a guy who I was way too high on as it turns out, uh, although we'll see now he's gotten back up is like CJ Abrams, right? So, so much ability. I mean, potentially could be a guy who, uh, when he gets on base and plays every day, lead the majors in stolen bases, right? Could hit for 300 average uh, in a good lineup. He wasn't ready. Clearly he wasn't ready. So drafting him, that kind of turned out to be a wasted draft pick. He was dropped almost everywhere. I mean, maybe if you have an NA spot in your roster, you know, you could have stashed him, but hardly anybody did that. And there really wasn't a reason to. I mean, will it be different now? We'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. But um, Josh Lowe is another example, a guy who uh, actually, as it turned out in one league, which is a keeper league, I, I had drafted him. Uh, he was struggling and uh, I traded him. And then it was about a week later, he got sent down. So I came out ahead on that trade. But you just really, you never know. And then we, a guy like Spencer Torkelson, top overall pick. He's been playing every day. It's not about opportunity. He's just, he's not ready, right? He's not getting it done. So um, I think it's just worth waiting. Are you going to hit on all these guys, you know, once they do break out? Are you going to be able to pick them up before the competition? No, 
not always and that's okay you, you you know the name of the game isn't to be always you know the guy who has that top prospect it's to build a balanced roster and if you're loading it up with too many you know high upside prospects and rookies chances are you're going to have more misses than hits so I, I i find myself being a lot more patient these days and try to kind of pick them up um in a timely manner which means maybe a few days or a week before they're going to get called up yeah i i think that for me it's it's a play it's a playing the percentages um the call-ups category of players generally don't hit um there are always outliers obviously you know we saw juan soto hit um but in general they don't pan out so from that perspective if I'm going to draft them early on in, in, in preseason and hold them uh, and spend money on it, right, if I have to pay a premium pick, it's rough. The only two ones that I can remember that I've done, uh, and I've done and I'm glad, was I remember Chris Bryant. I had maybe a share or two when he first came up. We knew he was going to be brought up in May. It was just going to be a couple of weeks. So that seemed like, you know, a decent pick. You know, it's like a you know, quick injury, and, you know, we didn't have to pay a huge premium. And I remember, Ruvain, once with, with you in the NFBC, I think we won that year, we picked up Trey Turner, and we knew he was going to come up somewhere in the middle of the year, June or so, and we held him all year. We picked him. We didn't spend dollars on him. We picked him in the reserve round. But we knew that he was just such a premium guy that it was worth holding. So that was an exception, but I usually don't. What about you, Ruvain? I really think it's league dependent. If you're in a keeper league, there's no reason why you shouldn't get one of these guys, one of these prospects that come up, because you can hold on to them. You can have them for next year. And if you if you feel like you didn't draft that well to begin with, then you'll have this guy on your bench and you'll have him for next year anyway. Or he can be a trade chip if you need to build your roster some, somehow and another team is looking to rebuild in a, in, a, in a keeper league. But in a redraft league, it all it's very team oriented and based on if there's room on your roster because their benches are so small and in there so many injuries it's so hard to roster so and you know and to hold on to these guys for an extended period of time if you're able to do that that's great but a lot of times people are forced to drop these guys just because they need other spots so it's kind of hard to do it nowadays just because of how many injuries there are um but i think that if you can get it from the, in, from the beginning from the draft that's great because that's you'll probably pay you the least amount then or you try to get it sometime the end of April, beginning of May, right before these guys get called up. Because if you wait for the week before, you'll have the Fabapalooza like we had a couple of years ago when a whole bunch of prospects got called up and I, and so much money of Fab was spent that week. Yeah. I mean, certainly um, if you wait until they get called up and you have this big Fabapalooza, uh, your return on investment goes down right away because you have to spend premium Fab dollars on it. Now, I understand that in the NFBC, which is a very specific format, uh, guys who have never played in the majors aren't even eligible to be picked up before then. So there's absolutely no choice but to participate in the Fabapalooza. Uh, still doesn't really help the, the return on investment. I mean, if you have to spend $300 out of 1000 on a top prospect, well, that guy better hit or you've wasted a lot of money. And again, it happens, but the percentages really don't work out. Uh, also, just to, to be clear, uh, yes, in a keeper league, obviously, you're picking up for the future. You, you're going to pick up these guys much earlier. You're going to hold them all year, obviously. I do that, too. Uh, I was referring more to a redraft. So, Pierre, um, here's an interesting question for you. Do you find that hitter call-ups, hitter June call-ups, are more reliable, more valuable than 
pitcher call-ups or vice versa? Do you think there's a distinction between hitter and pitcher, and how do you work that strategy? Yeah, I'll take the hitter every time because um, we know it's a lot easier for a hitter initially to kind of get acclimated. You know, rookies uh, tend to come in and, you know, they'll they'll get all juiced up and they're ready to go. And, and we might see a really strong first start uh, from a rookie. In fact, this year, it's funny because I've been writing for Rotoball, the two-start streamer article every week looking ahead. And of course, a lot of these streaming options are these young players, right? Rookies who aren't highly owned yet because they're not top prospects. And it seems to be a recurring trend. We have all of these rookies this year who come up and then they make a really good uh, first start and sometimes even a good second start. You'll see guys who pick six scoreless uh, back to back. And these look like great additions. Like this is a guy who might come in and and be worth uh, owning. And then the third start, they get blown up and then maybe the fourth start too. And then they've settled back to earth. And before you know it, you pick them up after their first or second start and you're left uh, you know with a an era of, of six something like that and uh, and then you drop them so you know it, it's just so risky with pitchers because all it takes is really one bad start uh to hurt your team as opposed to helping and then with the hitters it, it takes a little bit longer um you know even if a guy's slumping or struggling you can switch him out you know if they give you at least some counting stats that helps you but I'm always going to lean towards the hitter. It's just a lot, a lot safer in that sense. Yeah, I was about to say something very, very similar. Um, and I've noticed that uh, with the pitchers, that you get two, maybe three starts where they look really good, and they hit the wall. And all of a sudden, what the heck, they have a clunker, and it just uh, whatever gains they had, uh, you just lost from, from that you know third and subsequent outing. Uh, and you're right, often you pick them up after they've started once or twice, so you don't even get the good part. Uh, and, and hitters, I definitely agree with. I'll add to the hitter part that um, a lot of the young ones, the stolen bases sometimes often translate more up front. So even if a hitter is not really hitting all that well when they come up, but often they do steal the bases. So sometimes that's more reliable. Do you agree, Ruvain, or, or do you think that pitchers are more reliable? What, what do you think? No, I, I agree with both of you guys. The hitters are much more reliable. Um, and I'm sorry, the hitters are much more reliable. The hitters, you, they, they're usually called up when they have a set role. You know why they're going to be called up. They're being called up because they are quote-unquote ready, and they are, in most cases, going to get an everyday job. C.J. Abrams, again, we mentioned him already. He may not be that person because he's sort of left on the bench right now based on how the Potters are playing everything. But still, most players, when they're called up, like an O'Neill Cruz, there's no one blocking him. He's going to play 100%. When the pitchers are called up, you don't know if it's going to be for a spot start. You don't know if it's going to be if it's for an, an injured pitcher who's coming back. Plus, if they get called up later in the year, if you're, if you're going to spend so much money on a prospect at this point, you have to make sure you're going to get your value for it, for the for the player. If the pitcher is a younger pitcher, a lot of times they have innings restrictions. If they do, you may not even get a full rest of season at him. They may shut him down toward the end of August, beginning of September, just because they want to keep his innings down. So it's a little bit more riskier with the pitchers, in my opinion, because of that. Yeah, that's a great point. And in general, the playing time is something that you should really consider. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Josh Lowe after, and he's on the Rays. Uh, he's up for a replacement of injury currently, but uh, is he going to stick? You always have to worry what the Rays do in general. Um, maybe that's a factor of not bidding him up. I don't know, uh, but it's something to consider in terms of the playing time. Here's a quick, interesting question. Uh, is it ever worth using these these June call-ups for trade bait? We're talking in a redraft league, not in a keeper league. Obviously, keeper league is different. Ever worth 
using these as trading, you know, pick them up and quickly turn them around. Have you guys had any experience with quick trades of them? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think I mentioned it at the top when you mentioned low again. That That's exactly what I did. It, it wasn't really a mid-season call-up, but somebody who weren't sure if he was going to, you know, break camp and he did. And then I, I flipped them because I knew the perceived value was high. And I mean, he wasn't off to a good start. So I traded him. Now, as far as mid-season pickups, unless it's a guy, an elite, elite prospect that you really feel is major league ready, like, you know, uh, we talk O'Neill Cruz is is now up and we'll talk more about him, I'm sure. But, you know, that's a guy I'm not going to trade away, right? Because the ceiling is so massive and, you know, he, he definitely is going to get a lot of playing time. I don't see him being, you know, yo-yoed back and forth. But um, a lot of these guys, you know, we go crazy for the shiny new toy. And a lot of these guys also get sent back down really quickly. That's something, you know, we've probably all played for a very long time, played fantasy for years. I remember back when it used to be that, players weren't called up until they were really ready, had at least a year in double or triple A, and they were at least 23, 24 years old, maybe. And uh, and then once they were up, they were kind of up to stay unless they really struggled. And we see so many guys now who get, you know, called up and then a week later they're sent down and they didn't even maybe get more than five at bats or one start. You know, it's it's that yo-yo factor really plays a big part in, in things because, uh, you know, there's no guarantees these days for playing time. So I think, yeah, unless it's a guy you're really sold on or you really need, you know, I, I don't mind at all flipping them because for the most part, you're probably going to get more out of it than what you're going to get from them that year. Again, talking redraft. Makes sense, Ruben? Yeah, I think the only reason why you'd actually flip them or when you should flip them is before they're actually called up because that's when their value is the highest. I mean, take a prospect like Jared Kalenic. He came up last year, and people were all over him. They wanted him in drafts. They wanted to trade for him, and that's the time to get him. Then all of a sudden, he started not performing well. His value went down and went down and went down. Their highest value is before they come up because that's why they're called prospects. Prospects, um, I, actually, I actually looked up what prospect means. Prospect comes from the Latin term prospectus, which means view or outlook. A prospect is still a way of looking ahead and expecting good things. It's like potential in it and that it's something that you might, that might be, but isn't yet. And that's what we're looking for in a player. That's exactly what we're looking for a player. And that's what we're, you know, when you're, when you're picking these players up and for, with, for fab money, if you can get something similar, that is a known quantity with that same amount of fab money, and you'd be willing, let's say you want to trade the O'Neill Cruz and you can get a, a top pitcher that you think is valued at how much ever money you paid for him, for how much ever paid money for, for O'Neill Cruz, then it'll be worth it. But otherwise, there's no reason to to, to trade him. Just hold him and, and ride him as much as you can. Yep, and this is the Beat the Shift podcast where we not only do fantasy baseball, but we also learn Latin. So thanks for that, Ruben. No problem. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some of the prospects. But before that, Time for our Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Well, now that we know what a prospect is, the first prospect we're actually going to be talking about and discussing in this episode is going to be O'Neill Cruz. And O'Neill Cruz was recently called up by the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he happens to be 6'7". He is a 6'7 shortstop. So my trivia for the week is this. There have been, in uh, recently, only five shortstops that were 6'3 or higher. Can you name them? 6'3 or taller, I'm sorry. It, since uh... in, in Overall, in general, I, I, I went wow. back as far as I possibly could. 
shortstops usually are not that tall. O'Neill Cruz is six seven. Can you name five shortstops? This is in the past. It doesn't have to be current. Wow. Five shortstops who are six three or taller. Oh man, we need some Jeopardy music for this one. It'll take a while. Uh, let's see, six three or taller. Uh, Think recent. I'll, I'll, I'll get. I'll give you a hint. Right. A couple of these played in the uh, twenty teens, early early two thousand, and one of them played in the late eighties, early nineties. Right. Let me let me throw out uh, Cal Ripken Jr. He was in the tallest. Cal Ripken Jr. was the tallest shortstop until really? O'Neill Cruz. Are he you was serious? Six, he was six four. Wow. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, let's see. Um, somebody, let's see. Not Derek Jeter. I know that. Derek one. Jeter um, was six three. Really? Wow. There you go. Uh, yes. He was tall. Um, Troy Tulowitzki was pretty tall. Troy Tulowitzki was six three. There ah. are three. There are two more. Ah. One. One of them you should get. One of them I doubt you're gonna get. Okay, let's see. My brother is six three. <laughs> he doesn't count though. No, he doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> well, is... I'll, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you the one you're not going to get. It's impossible. I don't think you're going to get it. Jordy Mercer was six three. He's he's a utility guy now, but he came up as a shortstop with the Pirates. And there's one more player who's six hmm. three. I'll give you another hint for him. J Lo. A Rod. A Rod. A Rod. A Rod. A Rod is six three. So mm. both him and Jeter are the same height. Maybe that's wow. one another reason why they're you know they didn't like each other because they were just two good looking shortstops, same height, same everything, and they're both played for the Yankees. But anyway, O'Neill Cruz, he's six seven, which makes him a freak at shortstop. That's a good question, by the way. It, it, well, I, I, yeah, I had to find something with O'Neill Cruz because when you look at him on the field, he doesn't look like he fits there. He looks like having almost like an Aaron Judge type on your infield. Is he going to stay at shortstop? That's the, that's the key question. But, I mean, he, he came up as a shortstop, and the Pirates are playing him at shortstop, and he was hitting the ball very hard. This year, he has the hardest hit ball in the majors or minors overall, 121 miles off, off the bat. I think it was last week or the week before in the minors. He's ready to go. He's a guy that if he's available, you should get him. In most leagues, he's not available, but... Otherwise, in the minors this year, he only batted 232, but with nine homers and 11 stolen bases, he's a he's a top prospect. And if you had him, if you drafted him, hopefully you held on to him. Oh yeah, I mean you you better hold on to him because he actually had a pretty high ADP for a guy. I think most people did expect that he was gonna you know start the season um, basically holding down shortstop for Pittsburgh, and uh, of course you know service time has its way, but. I think here's the the important thing so far, you know, if you want to talk about small sample size, it's been what three games, uh, but I think he's only struck out once in those first three games. And that's what a lot of people are worried about, right? He's going to swing and miss a lot. He is his, his length. He's got the massive power, but of course, anybody with that kind of power, you're going to, you're going to have some, you know, strikeout issues. Yeah. He'll have his share, I'm sure, but I don't think it's going to be significantly more than anyone else who has his type of power upside. And so far he hasn't, uh, looked overmatched, and of course they say so far again it, it's like less than twenty at bats. But I I think he looks ready. I mean, there's nothing that has shown that since he's been up that he's flinched. I mean, he's he made instant impact in his I think one game he played last year and in his first game this year. Uh, you know, he he just looks ready. And uh, there's really I, I might sound weird for such a high prospect. There's no pressure on him because he's in Pittsburgh, right? <laughs> there's no pressure to perform there. He can just swing freely and, and do his thing. So now that's a guy I absolutely think is, is worth holding on to.
Yeah, he was my pick preseason to win Rookie of the Year. Uh, I just like his stuff. And, and from what I've seen so far, the most impressive thing is his defense. That arm is fantastic. I mean, he's thrown so hard over from a shortstop. Um, the highlights have been incredible. Um, now, he's been a high ground ball hitter in the minors, which is one of his issues. In 2021, he really did correct that. He went down to like a 30%, which was fantastic. But he reverted back to that in the minors this year at 51. So it's a little bit too early to to tell what he's doing in the majors so far. But I think that's one of the keys is the strikeout rate, as you mentioned, but also is the ground ball rate. So if he can hit more fly balls, hit more line drives, and you know keep that down, uh, he's going to be an absolute star. And the, 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 you're right, the pressure is not there. Um, the frame is fantastic. Uh, I really like O'Neill Cruz, and I think he's a help for this year. Also, I think that he—I—I—I I, I don't think he's coming back down, right? Do, do you guys think he's staying up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the I mean, that's the biggest he, key. He absolutely should. Yeah. Yeah, and then one thing I should correct because I'm checking today's box score. Uh, he did strike out twice today. He did also have a double and an RBI, but yeah. So now he's up to three strikeouts in 18 plate appearances, which is still not bad. And even if he keeps that ground ball rate, he's still going to get on base because he's got great speed. So it's not like even if you're hitting ground balls, okay, he's not going to hit for power, but he can still get you stolen bases because, again, he's playing in Pittsburgh. He's going to get on base, and he's going to steal. And it, the Pirates started off batting him, I think, 7th or 8th in, in the lineup, and now they're ready to move him up to 3rd or 4th. If they move him at 2nd or something like that, he's going to get on base more, give him more opportunity, opportunities to steal bases. You never know. So let's talk about Riley Green, who a lot of people had ahead of uh, Spencer Torkelson on the Tigers. Uh, he hit 274 in AAA this year, only one homer, only a 97 WRC plus, so not a phenomenal year. Last year he was incredible there, uh, 153 WRC plus minors, batted 308. Um, he doesn't strike me as the homer type. He, he he's the full package type to me. Uh, but he, I think that he's got a really high chance of uh, being impact this year. Uh, we're talking a high average, enough homers. Sometimes he'll steal. Um, I think steamer projections to me look the best. Uh, eight homers rest of season, four steals. They haven't been a conservative 255 average. I think he could beat that. Um, so let's look for that. But uh, I think Riley Green, he maybe would have started the season uh, if not for injury, I think he's here to stay, and for that reason, I think he's going to jumpstart the Tigers' offense, who I think is is underperforming, uh, and I think Riley Green is uh, obviously a definite hold. Uh, but what are your thoughts on him, Pierre? Yeah, I mean, they better hope he jumpstarts something. I actually thought for a minute he might jumpstart Torkelson because, you know, he came in and, you know, his first, his debut, got some base hits, and and those first two games, I think that Riley Green played, uh, all of a sudden Spencer Torkelson was getting hits, uh, and then he went back to 0 for 4 the next day. But uh, it's going to take a lot more than that for Detroit's offense. The, the thing is, like you said, with, with Green, he's got the hit tool, and I think we can count on a pretty good average. You know, the power, it's probably just going to be modest. Um, you know, he strikes me more as kind of a high-end Michael Brantley type who could get to 20 home runs, but I don't think he's ever going to be a 30 home run hitter. And, you know, playing in Detroit obviously doesn't help his chances, not a favorable park and, you know, that division. So I think he's definitely worth holding. The plate discipline is 
great. And that's the thing that that's what translates the quickest to playing at such a young age. You know, he's only 21. The fact that he's taking walks um, and he's very patient with his approach. He'd rather probably have a productive at bat and get a single than sell out for power. Right. And so uh, it's good to have that kind of player these days with batting average down across the league and, you know, so few players you can count on for average. So I, I think that Green is definitely somebody to hold on to. I've got a really interesting question. Who would you rather take rest of season, Green or Michael Brantley? Uh, I, you got to say Brantley still because, I mean, in that offense, as opposed to Detroit's offense, you're talking about, you know, bottom three offense in the majors, and I really don't see it turning around very much. I know Baez is doing a little bit better these days, but, man, there's, there's issues there. So, uh, yeah, I've got to go with a guy with a proven – Proven that within the better offense. So still Brantley. I would I actually agree. I would actually I don't. I'd actually take Raleigh Green. Raleigh Green has has possible power. Last year in the minors, he hit twenty-four home runs with sixteen stolen bases and batted three oh one. This is a guy who is more seasoned and more ready for the majors than Spencer Torkelson was. In one of our home leagues, Ariel, he someone dropped him the second week of the season. The following week, I know he was out for two months, the following week. I picked him up. It was a waste of a roster spot, but now I have him, and I'm playing him already. He's a guy. I think he's going to be the five-tools guy. I think he may end up being the rookie of the year in the American League. I mean, Brantley is is a fantastic batting average hitter. Here's a good, here's a good question here. Since 2014, let's not count the 2016 year where he had 39 at-bats, but every single year other than that, what was his lowest batting average since 2014 in a season? Let's do prices right higher and lower. <laughs> uh, two eighty-two, higher. Two eighty-nine, uh, higher. Two ninety-nine, lower. Two ninety-seven, two ninety-eight. There you go. Uh, and that's th- that's this year. This is his worst batting average year. He hasn't been below three hundred in a while. Um, I mean, he's an incredible batting average hitter. Uh, I don't think Riley Green—Riley Green could hit under 250. Uh, so I think that I, I would take Brantley rest of season. Power, I don't know. That's probably more even, but I think the batting average really does favor uh, Brantley. Uh, let's well, talk— with, with, yeah. with power being in a more pre, in more of a premium this year, wouldn't Riley Green be better for that? Because batting average is not as bad as it was last year, so what, that's, wouldn't put, that put Riley Green ahead of Michael Brantley? Um, I mean, batting average is quite down also, so the premium that Brantley faces is is also more. Okay. So, uh, Jeter Downs, a, c- a couple of Red Sox here. G- start with Jeter Downs. Um, big power-speed combo in the minors. Not fantastic in the minors this year. Hit only just 180 and 86 WRC+. And uh, we got Jaron Duran also. Uh, I think Jaron Duran looks... A little bit more translatable in terms of his skills to the majors. Um, he's batting across both majors and minors this year, 300, which is fantastic. Um, what are your thoughts on the Red Sox prospects, uh, Pierre? Uh, well, Downs, I think they just sent him down, back down today. Uh, so it's that same thing we talk about. I mean, just as soon as he's up, he's back down. Uh, we'll see him probably again later, but. It's not somebody that you want to count on for this season uh, if you're not in a keeper league. Durant's more interesting, and he's a guy who would seem to be more ready, of course. He's a little bit older uh, than Downs. 
he's intriguing because you know he's got the hit tool too. He does have some speed. Uh, we'll see. The power is really not going to be there too much. Um, but I think he's a guy who could make an impact, especially if you're looking for kind of a similar combo we talked about um, with, with that batting average first. Um, a little bit in terms of stolen bases, though the Red Sox don't run that much because they really don't need to. Um, but it probably would have to be a deeper league if it's a redraft league uh, to roster him because you, you can't count on him being in the lineup every day. But I definitely have more interest uh, in Duran. So Jeter Downs, probably of the four people we've spoken so far uh, the, at the bottom, wh- where do you rank the other three, Cruz, Green, and Duran? I think, I think for me it's that order. Yeah, that's, that's the order for me. Ruben, yeah. your thoughts on that? I, I, I agree with that 100%. Jeter Downs is not ready yet. He was only batting 180 in the minors this year. He did, have, he did show his pop and he did show his speed. That's great, but I don't think he's ready yet. And Jaron Duran, I think the Red Sox, they've been batting him leadoff. And if he's batting leadoff in that lineup, the Red Sox are 8-2 and two since he was called up. So he's doing something. You're talking about jump-starting an offense. Jaron Duran is a guy who may stay in the lineup. He may get his plate appearances. He may get those runs if he's batting leadoff. Especially, listen, Kiki Hernandez was leading off for a time for the Red Sox. He was hurt, but Jaron Duran can just take his spot. And it seems like he's doing a fairly good job. He's had hitting at a better average than Kiki Hernandez was. And Kiki Hernandez, he'll be back soon. So will Christian Arroyo. That's the reason why Jeter Downs didn't last that much. But I think Duran has much more staying power. All right, a couple more prospects. How about Josh Lowe of Tampa Bay? Um, you know, mentioned at the top of the show, Tampa is notorious for are they going to platoon a guy? Are they going to play him? Is he up? Is he down? He's been back and forth. Um, what do you think he's capable of doing, and what do you think he's going to do the rest of the season, and should you be rostering him up here? Uh, we're talking about Josh Lowe. Uh, I mean, what he's capable of realistically is a 2020 season. Um don't think it's going to happen this season, though, based on uh, his apparent lack of readiness. He's striking out 37% of the time, uh, hitting way below 200. Uh, and as of this week, his second you know, time back being called up, it's not necessarily going any better. He's definitely got an opportunity, even though we know, say, well, with the Rays, you never know what they do. But uh, Kiermaier's on the IL, and Margot is now on the 60-day IL. He might not even play the rest of this season. So... This is it. He's got his shot, but if he doesn't do something pretty soon, if he keeps striking out at that clip, uh, yeah, he's not going to stick around very long. So um, the upside is there, but again, this is a player that even though not as young, not nearly as young as some of these guys we talk about, like Riley Green, um, just hasn't quite adjusted to Major League Pitching yet. So I, it's got to be a wait-and-see approach for him. Once it starts to click, then maybe that's it, and, and he takes off. Um but he's definitely struggling. The only thing is that I don't think he's got anything else to prove in the minors. I mean, last year, 22 homers, 26 steals, 291 average. Decent this year. It, batting 300 in the minors, six homers, six stolen bases, uh, 144 WRC plus this year in the minors. I'm, he's got nothing else to prove. I mean, the question is, is he a quad A player? Is he a major leaguer? Uh, Tampa, they may not have any choice with some injuries to try him now. Um, but I don't think he's got anything to prove in the minors. So sending him back down, uh, other than uh, you know, if they would if they would not give him regular at bats, that's the only reason I would send him down because he's been fantastic in the minors. 
Right. No, that's exactly right. He doesn't have any reason to be back down, but if he, if he just, you know, is going to keep swinging and missing and he can't produce quality at bats, you know, Tampa's not a team that, that needs to be patient, you know, with these young prospects, they, they can get somebody to take his place. You know, it's, it's not Pittsburgh or Detroit. Right. And so, uh, that's the thing. He might just become a bench player. He might become a, you know, every once in a while, fill in that might keep him in and just see what he does. But again, if he's in there every day and he's going one for four, over four, you know, over three, he's hurting your team as opposed to helping. And then he's taking up a roster spot. So for fantasy purposes, you know, even if he sticks on the roster for Tampa, the rest of the season, he doesn't necessarily belong on fantasy rosters. And speaking, and speaking of Tampa's roster, that's the whole issue. Who else is going to play the outfield? They have a Rosarino. That's fine. They have Harold Ramirez, who's DHing around, sort of, kind of. He can play the outfield as well. But if they have uh, Vidal Bruhan, he's an interesting name. He he can play second. He also recently started playing the outfield since, like you mentioned, Manny Margot. He's on the sixty-day IL. He may not come back this year. Kevin Kiermaier has a chronic hip issue. He's issue. He's had multiple cortisone injections already. You don't know how much you're going to get out of him. Other guys on the bench, you have Luke Rayleigh and Brett Phillips. So, I mean, it's not like he's really battling for a job there. The job is given to him. He just has to sustain it. Will he be able to do that? I don't know. Um, but if you want to, you know, take a chance on a guy, a guy like Vidal Bruhan, who was also a top prospect last year, who didn't make it that well, he's going to get much more playing time now. Maybe you'll see. You'll If they get more consistent playing time, they may also, something may click and they may be able to get to the level that they're expected to. I have another uh, prospect, uh, C.J. Abrams, uh, for the Padres. Padres are known to uh, bring up or try out these prospects a little bit more than some of the other squads. He breathes through the minors. I mean, he's a young guy. He's only 21 years old. He he uh, breathes through the minors, really. Um, 2021, AA, just torched it. So far in the minors this year, he's been fantastic. He's batting 314. Uh, the majors, not as much. Maybe this is a type of guy who does need a little bit more seasoning in the Myers, a little bit more experience. But so far, his skills has somewhat translated to, to the majors. He's striking out only 18% of the time, which is pretty good. Uh, he hasn't been a fantastic walker, but he's walking you know a little bit north of 5%. Hitting a little bit more ground balls than he has in the past. But, uh, you know, is this somebody that, uh, you know, Padres are going for it now. They're not going to be able to rely on crappy production. So, to me, I think Abrams, they're, they're, they're giving him shots, cause, and they brought him up again because he's been fantastic in the minors. But, you know, to me, if, if he's not succeeding, they'll send him down because, they, they you know, they're built to win right now. They, they are uh, they're competing for even the division title in the NL West. Uh, what are your thoughts on C.J. Abrams, Pierre? Here's the guy I'm I'm still carrying the torch for. And like you said, uh, as far as rookie of the year, I like Cruz. I had him second. I Abrams was my pick preseason. I thought he would be the guy. Um, and like you said, he's he's got everything you would want. I mean, he can hit for average. He does have a little bit of pop. He hasn't really shown it yet, but he could grow into some power. But he could absolutely lead the league in steals, you know, once it all comes together. Um and of course, he struggled big time, sent down. But as soon as he got sent down, uh, he lit up the minors. I mean, he hit 314 and triple A. And it looked like he was on a mission to get back called up to the big club. And the Manny Machado injury, you know, just happened. And and now he's playing again every day. Here's his shot, right? He's playing shortstop. Um, and the one good thing, even though his average is is pretty miserable so far um, this year in the in the majors, 
he's not striking out a ton. He's not like Josh Lowe, who, what was it, 37% strikeout rate. He's striking out less than 20% of the time. Uh, so, you know, with his speed, he can leg out some, you know, ground balls. Uh, you know, he doesn't have to depend on power to be productive in a good team, you know, a good lineup still, even, you know, with Machado out, still pretty talented team. So he's definitely somebody I'm still watching for and hoping that he starts stringing together multi-hit games. Um, he at least had a hit uh, in each of his last two games. So, hey, maybe, maybe it's happening. We'll see. But he's a guy I'm definitely going to be patient with. You know, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But um, even though he is also very young, like I said, he's he moved up so fast to each level because he made it look easy. And I think it's just a matter of time before it clicks for him. What's your I think it's the key is what the Padres are doing with him. When he came up, he was a shortstop. When they sent him back down, they wanted to teach him how to play the outfield because look at the Padres' current outfield. This is according to Roster Resource. They have Jerks and Profar in left. They have Trent Grisham in center, and they have no more Mazzara in right. That's not exactly winning you any divisions anytime soon. If they can get Abrams back going, and if he can play the outfield, that's going to be a place where he can he can flourish because Tatis will come back. There's going to be a roster crunch also when eventually Will Myers comes back. So there's going to be a, a roster crunch. If you pick him up, if you're going after him, that's great for the short term. But will he be with this team come end of August, beginning of September, when you need him for a late playoff push or to help win your, win your fantasy league? I don't know if he's going to be there just because there's going to be that roster crunch. Is he going to stay on the roster as opposed to a Nomar Mazar, a guy who's more quote-unquote proven because they're running for a division and they want something proven in the lineup as opposed to a C.J. Abrams? He's not going to play shortstop when when Tatis gets back, if Tatis plays shortstop, unless they put Tatis in the outfield. So you have to see how the Padres balance what they have because they have a lot of different players that can play a lot of different positions like Profar. He used to play the infield. Now he's got the outfield. Abrams, same thing. So you have to see the playing time for me. I, I, Abrams has shown that he can do it. It's just a matter of getting the playing time. So just to end with some strategy here, any of these guys that we talked about so far, are they worth a big 20 to 30% bid on the waiver wire this week if they're available? Anyone? Uh, Cruz and Green. Yes, Cruz definitely. Um, I mean, for sure. Green, I don't know if I'd go that high. Um it sounds like Ruben would, and, and I wouldn't blame anybody for doing that. Um, but I think Green and Cruz, those would be the guys. Duran, I would go maybe a little bit lower. Uh, maybe 15 would be my max. And low, I'm, I've already said I'm, I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to see it first. Uh, Abrams, you don't need to because, again, he hasn't really done it yet. You know, if, if Machado comes back and then, you know, they keep Kim in every day, then he, yeah, he might go back to the bench or be sent down. Um, but to me, Abrams, the one thing to, to finish with that thought is that the roster of makeup of the Padres almost works in his favor because if Tatis comes back and plays every day, it's probably going to be in the outfield, right? They're not going to put him at short just to alleviate some of the pressure and the load on him. And so that pushes to me Mazzara out. Um, and then Abrams can probably play shortstop again, assuming he's actually hitting. Uh, and I think they want him to win that job and they'd rather keep Kim as kind of that utility guy. But uh, of course, he has to start hitting first. Obviously, it depends on the format and deeper formats. You know, you, you're obviously going to have more of a need to for these players than shallow formats. But, Ruben, what are your general thoughts on heavy fab betting on these guys this week? 
well, heavy fair bidding in, in most leagues that I'm in, I already own Cruz or Green, so I'm not going to spend anything on them. But yes, those two guys, 100%, I go in for. I, I think they're worth it, especially if your team is not doing that well right now and you need a jump start. Sometimes getting these guys, what if they do hit? What if they turn into the next Juan Soto when he was called up? What if they call, turn into the next um, uh, Trey Turner when they get called up? You, and you don't want to miss that out. You can't miss out. Let's say someone picked up John Birdie. Look, he's leading the league in stolen bases already. If you picked him up, he can turn a team around just like that these guys can do that as well jaron duran i think may be able to do that just because he's still batting leadoff and he's on the red sox low will get the playing time abrams i'm a little bit more concerned about because without well, the, that whole roster crunch and jeter downs i'd forget about for this year yeah the one thing i'd say though is that uh with with riley green i think he's got the highest percentage of uh success of all the guys we've talked about but he's to me he's got the least unique profile. I mean, Cruz can steal some, some of the others can as well. Riley Green is not a big stolen base guy, and he's not a power guy. Um, in in a twelve team mix league, for example, I don't know how unique he's going to be. Even if he you know reaches seventy percent of his potential this year, he's not that unique a profile. Just just overall value. I'm trying to think of a good comp, but, uh, uh, I mean, it's not Michael Brantley. It's less. And what is Michael Brantley's value? You know, 5 to $5 in a 12-team league? It's just not that thrilling so that I would not spend a big fab bid on Riley Green in a sh more shallow or even medium format because I just I don't think it's a unique profile for what you get in fantasy. Like, uh, how much worse is, like, Miguel Cabrera going to be, for example? Like, I think, yeah, well, you know, and that's kind of my issue. What I was mentioning being on a team like that, you know, Ariel, we've had the discussion before and, and you've said this and I, I love to quote you on this is that the most underappreciated because it's the least sexy category in the Roto League is runs, scoring yes. runs. If you're on a bad team, you're not going to score runs no matter how good you are because you need guys to drive you in. And Detroit is just one of the worst offenses in the league. Uh, he's not at this time, I don't think hitting at the top of the order. And so if he's not getting you a lot in terms of home runs, you know, that's debatable whether he, he can get to that point to become at least a quasi power hitter, but he's not stealing your bases. If he's not going to score a lot of runs and not necessarily drive in a lot of runs, he's really only helping you in batting average. And that's, that's great, but it's not worth a massive bid just for that one category. Kind of like you're saying. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know that he's going to actually give you batting average help. I mean, I think it'll be above league average, but I don't know. He's actually going to help your, your fantasy team. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, some of the, some of the projection systems have met about two fifty. Um, so to me, it's a gamble. Uh, I certainly would bid on him, but it, it, it's a keep honest type bid. You know, I, I would bid five to 7% maybe. Uh, I would not spend more than that because again, it's unique. There's a profile, and you're right; the runs matter. Uh, so I would say against it. All right, uh, let's move on to some waiver wire. Who are you picking up this week? Uh, could be anyone. Uh, let's see what you got this week, Pierre Goford. Who are your potential waiver wire pickups for this end of June pickup? Well, actually, we'll talk about another rookie uh, who I don't know. If, maybe we shouldn't call him a prospect uh, based on. On, on the definition Ruben, you know, gifted us with earlier because nobody was really watching Oscar Gonzalez, uh, but he's hitting. I mean, he came out the gate and he's hitting almost every day out of his first 24 games. He uh, only four times went hitless and he's got a lot of multi-hit games and he's showing power. And um, I mean, until he stops hitting, I think you have to take him seriously. And, and I actually picked him up out of more desperation than anything. <laughs> uh, 
couple of weeks ago in Rotoballer uh, Expert League, and I've been rolling with him, and he's helping. So, uh, you know what? Just uh, the last, what, week alone, he's got a couple home runs, six RBIs. I mean, I'm going to keep going with him, and, and nobody seems to be really paying any attention, which to me is a little bit shocking. And then uh, I know it's probably not very likely, but in some leagues, in a lot of leagues, Fran Mel Reyes was dropped because, well, he was struggling pretty badly and then got hurt. So if he was dropped, I think now's the time to go and, and pick him up. Go for the Indians there, apparently. Ruben? Yeah, I got a couple of guys. First of all, Danny Jimenez is on the I.O. with an injury, so the Oakland Athletics need a closer. My guess for the closer is going to be A.J. Puck. He's a lefty closer in Oakland with a beard. I'm getting a little Sean Doolittle vibes going there. He's So far this this year, even if he doesn't close, he's gone 28 innings with 26 strikeouts, an ERA of 1.93, and a whip of 1. So those stats are good. He's only owned in 15% of leagues right now. So if he can get you a, a – he can vulture a save here and there for the, for the athletics. Yeah, I know they're not that good, but he still can vulture a save every once in a while. He's a guy to look for. Another guy – People probably forgot about him. Eddie Rosario. He's only owned in 50% of CBS leagues. He's beginning a rehab assignment soon, which means he's going to be back in about two weeks. If that's the case, and you want to take a take a chance on him, he could get his vision corrected. Maybe he'll start hitting again. He's a guy to get, and if you can, you can get him now cheaper as opposed to waiting when he actually comes back. A guy I mentioned already, Howard Ramirez. He's only 5% owned in CBS leagues. He's going to get a lot of playing time. In the last week, he's batting. He had 8 for 19 with a homer and 4 RBIs. That's a 421 average. And with more playing time coming up, he's a guy you can get cheap, and you can probably get and probably get more production out of him to start with than Josh Lowe. Um, another guy I want to mention, I have to mention because he's a Met, and he's another guy who was called up, uh, Dom Smith. Only 11% owned in NFBC. He was hitting under 200, which is why he was sent down. Then in the minors, he batted 266 with two homers, three stolen bases, and 10 RBIs. He just needs consistent playing time, which he may get. You know, um, J.D. Davis can't always seem to stay healthy. And if they want to play him, if he starts hitting, he's a guy who can help you with batting average. He's a guy who can help you with runs. Strong side platoon for uh, uh, along with J.D. Davis. Um, hey, maybe they have better alarm clocks for Dom Smith in uh, the minors than he's doing the majors. Maybe that jump-started him. Um, funny you mentioned Eddie Rosario, and we had Ellen Adair on two weeks ago when we talked about him, and we were all like, uh, eh, he's probably not going to be worth very much at the end of the year. Um, but I guess he's more ready than you think? Is that what your change is here? I think he's going to be ready to play sooner than we think. I think he's going to be available, and if you want to take the risk, I'm not saying he's going to be good. I'm saying he's going to be ready to play. So in, in two weeks or, th- or two and a half weeks, three weeks, he should be called up. And, and if you want to get him and you want to have him on your roster and you want to take that chance, you want to take that flyer, now's the time to do it because you, you'll pay minimal on the fab wire. Yep. Well, you know I love Eddie Rosario. Um, I'm going to mention f- three guys who are a little bit more owned. They're 45% owned on CBS, all of them. Uh, start with another brave. What about Adam Duval? I don't understand why he's only forty-five percent owned on CBS. What do you think you're getting out of Adam Duval? Homers. Uh, he has six homers this month. He's batting two forty this month. His walk rate this month is ten percent. He's got a one forty-one WRC plus. Adam Duval is an example of a player who, because he struggled in the beginning, his overall numbers look a lot worse than he's been doing lately. And a lot of times the best pickups to do are where you have somebody who the numbers are worse, but they're playing great now. And if you took off, maybe not 
you know, maybe maybe just don't count the first month, but took off take off April, leave May and June, the numbers are still much better. And when you go to your waiver wire and, you know, a lot of times you want to say, all right, who's available? And you sort, you sort. Some of the choices are sort by year to date, right? And, oh, well, who's got the most homers year to date? Great. But you also should really pick a little bit of a smaller horizon, maybe uh, 28 days. I, I wish the, the providers would let you pick a little bit more of a range. Like on CBS, it's 28 days or 14 days. I'd rather have it go, give me six weeks, give me seven weeks. Uh, because a lot of times you'll get more information out of that. And Duval is one of those guys. We talked about um, a couple weeks ago about Zach Wheeler, how Zach Wheeler's first three starts were crappy and purposely crappy because he, um, instead of doing a spring training, he just did it on the major league level. So he was terrible. So his, ma- his full numbers look worse than he really is. He's really pitching to like a 1 2 ERA, yet his full numbers are like a 2 7 ERA. Uh, like double, you should always realize that you have to look a little bit deeper than just the year-to-date numbers because you'll miss trends. The next two guys I want to mention, A.J. Pollock. Um, He's done good things in the past. This month, he's batting 321, two homers, 13 RBIs. He's heating up. He actually has a hit in every single game he's played in in June but two. Um, White Sox have some needs for some players, and you never know. They do have a strong team when healthy. Pollock is a good source of run production metrics. You should consider him if he's available. Uh, and how about, I mean, I'll mention a closer, Sir Anthony Dominguez. Um, you can get him now on the cheapish side if he's still available, possibly. I think that he's worth spending the dollar or two on Fab in a $100 Fab League. He could be the Phillies' closer. Maybe Knable gets dealt. Maybe Knable's not hurt is hurt and he's not ready and he gets a setback. Um, and, and he just goes down. Who knows? Samantha Dominguez just got a save the other day um, in an extra inning affair, I believe. Uh, take a look at Sir Anthony Dominguez. Anyone else have any other ones to add? Actually, you mentioned the White Sox. Also a, a good time to add Jake Berger because, you know, barrel rate above 90 percentile. And with Moncada back on the IL, he's going to hold down third every day. We know he's got power, uh, a little bit older for a rookie. You know, he's had injury troubles, but he's kind of putting it all together. So if that whole lineup can ever actually stay healthy, if Eloy Jimenez can ever come back, uh, yeah, he's in a great spot. And I've, I've got a couple of shares of him already in different leagues. So Jake Berger, definitely someone to look out for. And if you want to get ahead, we're talking about prospects. Uh, a guy that I'm picking up now so I don't have to spend uh, hundreds of dollars in fab. Uh, I, I hope Corbin Carroll gets the call next. So that's the guy I'm, I'm trying to, you know, kind of stash wherever possible. What are the chances that he's, that Carol's going to get? I mean, he's obviously fantastic and he's a guy who I think is, he could really just stick right away, but why would they, why would they bring him up right now? Is there a reason? Uh, I mean, they need something to get excited about in Arizona, don't they? <laughs> I, mean, I, I I get that. Yeah. He's, yeah, they don't, maybe they don't have the, the huge impetus to, to bring him up now, um, but again, he's he's kind of showing that he doesn't he's overmatched, uh, you know, he's overmatching pitchers, I should say, in, in the double A level. So, I mean, it depends on the organizational philosophy. Look, some of these teams are surprising us like Pittsburgh. You know, we we thought, OK, maybe they'll haul into Cruz, but they're calling up 
all of their prospects. Like it's it's just it's prospect palooza for them, right? They're just giving them all a shot, and I love that. I love seeing that. Let's just put them up and see what they can do. Um, I don't, I'm not saying Arizona is going to go that route, but you know what? By midseason, if they start to fade in the race, you know maybe they decide to go for the the youth movement. And Cor- and Corbin Carroll's stat line in Double A right now: three eighteen average, sixteen homers, twenty stolen bases, twenty stolen bases, thirty nine RBIs, and that's in fifty six games, two hundred sixty nine plate appearances, which is really good. And his his walk rate is almost fifteen percent. His strikeout rate's at twenty four percent, which isn't great, but it's been steady throughout his entire minor league career. So he's shown, you know, consistent plate discipline which is good for someone his age um he is only he's very young he's only 21 years old so they don't need to call him up they could wait a little bit if he's if he doesn't get called up this year then he's going to be drafted next year in a lot of leagues because people think we brought up next um may that's probably what will happen yeah i i don't think he's gonna be brought up this year i think that he remember he's only in double a i think that maybe the second half of the season will throw him in triple a and maybe he gets a shot to 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 make the team outright maybe they bring him up early on next year i just uh listen if you can get him cheap and you have the room god bless why not um i just think that the probability is lower on him to be called up because of the situation although if he did if he did get the call up uh, he's excellent. So maybe in like an NL only league, I can see it more. Uh, in more shallow leagues, I, just because the probability of him actually coming up is low, I'd probably stay away. Again, stay away, not because well, he's not good, just because he's not playing. It does happen. The comp I'll use though is, is think about Michael Harris with the Ravens. Nobody expected him to get called up in his exact same situation. He yeah. hadn't gone past Double A, and his first taste of that was this season. I mean, that that took everyone by surprise. And he's stuck, and it looks like he's he's belong, you know, he belongs definitely, and he looks like he's going to stick even if Rosario comes back. I don't think that's going to push Michael Harris down, considering he's hitting at three thirty three. So there's sort of a precedent this year, uh, you know. And Atlanta's a team that, even though obviously they've had some injuries there in the outfield, that's not a team you would expect to, to reach down to such a young player uh, to fill that spot. So. We'll see if Arizona does it. Not saying they'll follow suit, but it seems like that's a little bit more common these days. All right. How about a couple of pitchers? Pitcher preview for this week. Um, I got to tell you, it's pretty, pretty dry. Um, I I, I struggled to find anyone who's not like picked up in a league that's, oh, wow, this is intriguing. Anybody find anything, Pierre? Waiver wire? Um, It it depends how deep your league is. Look, this week, you're absolutely right. Um, Looking at the waiver wire, it's tough unless you're, you know, possibly you can get a guy who's around the 50% ownership mark. Um, and I'll talk about George Kirby again because I feel like I talk about him all the time, whatever possible. I don't know why he's still kind of under the radar. This guy just, he doesn't walk anybody, right? He, that's what you want a guy who can command the strike zone, um, you know, favorable situation, obviously overshadowed by Logan Gilbert there, but. I just, I love what he does. You know, he pounds the strike zone. Um, you know, he induces a good amount of soft contact. So if he's still out there, which apparently he is in pretty much half uh, of fantasy leagues, I would definitely go ahead and add him. I would say the same with Taiwan Walker if he's available, although I doubt that's probably less likely. Um, if you're going to really reach down further, you could take a chance on a guy and see if he's put it together like Daniel Lynch. Uh, looked really good in striking at batters last couple starts, and he has a pretty good schedule this coming week. Um, obviously, there's risk there, but hey, it's the waiver wire. <laughs> All right, Ruvain. 
I'm going to go to the beltway for both of my picks here. I'm going to go with Tyler Wells first, who's a possible two-star pitcher. I've mentioned him before. In his last three starts, he's got 11 strikeouts and 17 innings, but he's got a 2.12 ERA, and he's got three wins in his last starts. He is facing George Kirby, possibly, and another matchup with possibly with Minnesota. Both are away, so it's not that bad of a play right there. He's only 23% owned in CBS League, so he should be available. And another guy who's very similar to him, very similar to his pitching style, is Eric. Fetty. He's only 8% owned. He's a possible two-start for, uh, for two-start possibly against Pittsburgh and Miami. That's pretty good. His last three starts, he's 2-1 with a 3.18 ERA, 12 strikeouts and 17 innings. So if you want a guy for possibility for, for wins, even though he's on the Nationals, he's not playing two great teams, and he's pitched pretty well recently. Yeah, Fetty is the guy that I zoomed in on as oh, matchups, done well lately. Um, that's like the only guy. I, I really can't find anybody that I think is not owned. Uh, John Gray, 70% owned on CBS. He gets Kansas City, and he's two-start against Baltimore, Minnesota. He's heating up. Uh, to me, that's about it. Uh, Fetty is really my only pick for this week. Uh, let's do mailbag. Two questions here. First, from Gaman, he asks, what is your first point to address or strategy if you are in last in both average and and in homers in a 5x5 five five Roto League? Do you sell out for pseudo-sluggers like Vogelbach, Odor, or focus on rostering contact hitters like uh, Hernandez or J.P. Crawford? Um, it's a tough question, Gammon. Uh, I mean, the thing is, uh, I just want to point out, whatever the answer is in terms of what players are, I mean, the being in last place in a Roto League is not the focus that you should have. It's about the marginal points surrounding you. So if you're in last place and there's four teams that are really close right above you, it's very different than there are four teams that, are, that, that there's nobody right above you that, oh, my goodness, you're way, way, way out ahead. Um, because then you're talking about punting strategies. You're talking about other things. It really depends. I mean, you can be in first place and be way ahead and say, all right, now I can relax uh, homers if I'm way ahead. Or if you're in first place and there's guys really right next to you, well, then, then homers become really a big deal, right? It, it's not the first or last place. It's how close everybody else is to you, up or down, right? Because you can gain points, lose points quickly. Um, as far as what to do, if, if, if you have issues in both average and homers at the same time, um, you're 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 playing uh, just value. You're playing people for value, right? You're, if you can't point to a category and say, well, I can really relax this one, you're just going to, in the month of June right now, you're just going to play the better values. Uh, I, I don't think there's another way to play it. So I, I don't want to answer the question in terms of specific players, but I, I think that you got to, if you've got the double contest of uh, issues, stick with value for now. Do you agree, Pierre? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to identify specific players. You say, well, this guy's going to, you know, really boost me in, in this category. I mean, it, if you could identify that type of player, most likely everyone else can too. They're going to be bidding them up on the waiver wire. You know, it, you really have to kind of hone in on those categories like you were saying, you know. So to answer the first part about the pseudo sluggers, the guys like the, you know, Rugnet Odor, Vogelbach and those types, no, they're they're out there for a reason. They're not going to help you because really the type of power they're bringing to the table, it's not really giving you much of an advantage. Maybe they'll get you a couple homers here or there over your existing roster, 
but at the same time, they're probably hurting you in average. And so, you know what, you're, you're break, at best breaking even. Um, so I would say, you know, kind of fittingly, based on the theme of, of this show, you might want to look at some of these prospects that are a little, you know, less hype, less owned, and look for them to boost you up. A guy like a Jake Berger, I mentioned, he can help you with power. Uh, and he's actually hitting for better average than those guys you mentioned, like Vogelbach and Odor. He's hitting 291 in June. Um, Oscar Gonzalez, same thing. These guys who are freely available. Um, and while everyone's, you know, bidding up and hoping for the big prospects to pan out, you can go for those lesser um, hyped players. Um, as far as trading, you know what? Probably if you're last place and you're trying to negotiate trades with the teams above you, they're going to try to take advantage of you because they can, right? You, you're not going to have a lot of desirable assets. So it's really tough to try to trade when you're down in the standings. You're really going to have to try to take chances. You can maybe buy low on a guy like a veteran that you think you feel a, has a good chance of turning it around in the second half. I would say maybe a Justin Turner, Joey Votto, those kind of guys, because you know what? Other teams aren't too interested in holding on to them, right? So that would be your best bet. Um, but again, you really just kind of have to play it one week at a time. It's so hard to say, who's the player who's going to help me, you know, dig out of this hole and help me the rest of the season. You really have to just try to stream and play the odds each and every week, even if it's not a weekly league. How can I gain a few, you know, stolen bases this week? Who's running a lot lately? You know, who who looks like they have a favorable schedule? You kind of have, just have to really take it almost day by day. Yeah. And uh, the other thing I point out is that you want to increase. If you're in last in both the categories, it's not, you're not in good shape, I'm sure. Uh, you need to increase risk. Going for Dan Vogelbach is not going to solve your problems. J.P. Crawford, no. a nice player. He's more consistent. You actually don't want consistency. You want upside. So you might want to spend on some of these prospects. You want to might take a gamble on whoever the hot player is right now. Uh, I would increase risk in, in you know, it's, it's not just about the players. It's about the, the, uh, the strategy behind it. And you want to increase your risk. Uh, it, in terms of who you play at this point if you are R and last. Anything to add, Ruben? Yeah, it's upside and value. Try to get the most out of both. The, the, these, those power guys, what are they going to do for you? you? You'll have them for a week, and, and you'll see another a hot player on the on the, mar, on the waiver wire, and you can get them next week also. So just play. try to get the hot hand and just try to play the hot hand. If you're in last place in both those categories, you're probably not doing that well in RBIs and runs scored either, which means that you just have to play the highest guy with the, the best guy with the, with the best possible profit in the, in the long run, which is the guy who has the highest ceiling. Interesting question from Danny. He asks, why are projection systems seeming to be pretty light on Alec Manoa? Um, he still comes in ranked below people like Valdez, Bieber, Christian Javier. Is it ballparks? Is it strength of competition? Lack of strikeouts? Why is it such a big? And he, uh, he posts on Twitter um, taking like the bat X rest of season, and he's only like a $5 pitcher. Um, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I mean, you know, I, I, I looked at, 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 uh, what the rest of the season projections are and Alec Manoa is the 27th ranked starter, which in a 15 team league, that's a number two starter. So it's not like the guy is ranked as crappy. I mean, number two starter is pretty good, but yeah, it's interesting that a bunch of other guys are ranked much, much differently than he is. Um, 
any feel for that? Uh, maybe it has to do with uh, strikeout rate. I don't know. Um, his strikeout rate this year hasn't been fantastic. It's been only 23%, which is good, not great. I mean, again, he's ranked as a number two starter. Um, I, I don't really see it as such a big issue. Um, maybe it's just... Uh, uh, a little bit more interesting. So, uh, Spencer Spencer Strider comes out higher than him. That's interesting. Chris Bassett comes out higher. Maybe it's the win. I I, I think that it, it it's not so much Manoa. My my answer to you, uh, um, uh, Danny, is it's not so much that Manoa is at fault. Um, maybe the strikeouts play a little bit of a role, but I think it's everybody else has something else that in a five by five roto valuation is a little bit more. Bassett maybe have a more win total. On, on the Mets for some reason. I don't know. Bieber, maybe his experience. Maybe he's got some better whip projections. Probably something different for everybody is my guess. Um, that That's my take here. And again, it's he's really not that bad when you're a number two starter. So uh, any thoughts on Manoa, anybody? Well, one thing that jumps out is his Sierra is significantly higher as ERA is, is too flat. His Sierra is 3.64. And that pretty much is what the projection systems have him at basically is, is pitching to his Sierra, which means, you know, that that ERA will jump. Doesn't mean it'll happen. Um, he, he does have a sort of high strand rate, 81%. Um, you know, he, his strikeout rate isn't great but it's not bad either Manoa is a super talented guy I don't I don't think I'm too worried um you know some pitchers just don't wind up regressing to what their expected stats are um so yeah he's probably not going to pitch to a 2.0 ERA by year's end but I think he's still solidly a top 20 25 pitcher at the very least that's a good point I think the issue is how many innings he's going to pitch the rest of the season. I mean, I, I see here that every all the all the systems seem to agree about basically on average how many innings he's going to have going the rest of the season. But last year he only threw a total of 130 innings. That's between AAA and, and the majors. He's thrown 81 innings so far. So let's say you, you get to the same mark that he got to last year. That's another 50 innings. But you don't know what you're going to get after that. You don't know how he's going to do once he surpasses that, once he gets to 150, 160 innings. Are they going to push him to 170 innings? Is he going to falter like some pitchers do? Like last year, um, I think it was Tywin Walker. He In the beginning of the year, he, he did great. But because he didn't have the buildup of in innings, his second half of the season, was nothing like the first part of the season. I think that I think the systems are a little bit nervous about that, about how he's going to do as he pitches more and more. Yeah, I think though, Pierre, you, I think you've hit on it that you know we're talking about projections here, and projections have their way of doing it. And when you see that the ERA is so much better to date than the Sierra or the projected ERAs, I mean, like you know, the the bat projects a three seventy three rest of season ERA. Steamer's three eight eight. I mean, that's a lot worse than his two ERA currently. So, you know, that basically says that projections believe he's been overperforming um, and they're going to knock him down a lot more than you would. Now, I personally think that he is going to beat his expected, his uh, ERA estimators, uh, just as Julio Urias does, just as uh, Walker Bueller consistently outperforms him. But on a projected level, you're going to see that. Does that mean that projections uh, for him maybe should be better? Maybe. Um, you know, I, I probably would take him over Chris Bassett right now. Um, but I can see why the projection level does that. And it is uh, probably a lot to do with what you said, Pierre, the the differential between uh, his performance and what he's projected to be. 
All right. Injury update, Ruvain. Take it away. Okay, so we're going to start with a player who was already mentioned earlier. We're going to start with Yon Mankata. He was placed on the IL with a right hamstring strain. He already missed over a month with an oblique issue. Um, we don't know how long he's going to be out for. It seems like he can never stay healthy. It just seems like that if you've, if you've owned him in any leagues in years past also. He always has these um, little nicks and stuff like that that he just can't stay on the field. Jake Berger, 100%. Pierre, you mentioned him. He's going to be filling in, and he's been doing so pretty well so far. Um, Seiya Suzuki, he's been out for a month already with a finger in in injury. He began swinging again, and the Cubs have not said whether or not he'll need a rehab uh, um, stint or not. If he will need a rehab stint, he'll probably be back in about two weeks or 10 days, two weeks. If he doesn't need one, he could be back as early as next week. So just keep an eye out for that. Marcus Stroman will stick with the Cubs. Marcus Stroman was scheduled to throw a bullpen session this week. hes They don't know how intense he's throwing right now because he's still recovering from right shoulder inflammation. He's unlikely to come back in at least another 10 days, two weeks. He's a guy, He's a to me, he's a waiver wire guy at this point. If he's still on your roster, you could probably get someone off of the waiver wire who can, a middle reliever who can fill in probably pretty well and wait until Stroman gets back because you don't know how he's going to do when he comes back. And I'm going to end with the Mets rotation or the Mets rotation on the IL, I should say. Max Scherzer, he's expected back hopefully this Sunday, which is very possible. He may have, he may be on a pitch count, but there's no reason for for the Mets to waste any pitch counts in the minor leagues anymore. He says he's not, he didn't sign to be a rumble pony. That's his quote. Jacob Degrom, he's already throwing more um, uh, live batting practices. It looks like he may be on track to return sometime around the second week in July, around the All Star break. That's my guess. If I had to get, if if, if you had to tell me when is he coming back? For sure, I would say first he may be the first star coming out of the All-Star break. Don't be surprised about that. Another guy, Tyler McGill. What's going on with him? He's going to be shut down for at least another four weeks with a shoulder issue, which means you're not going to see him for at least another six weeks, which means you're not going to see him for a very long time. So if you if you really need a roster spot, he's a guy you can drop because he already this is the second time on the IL with a shoulder injury. You may not want to you know hold on to him. You don't know how he's going to do the rest of the season. And Carlos Carrasco, he's taken out of his last start with a back injury. He's day to day. I, they're running out of their, I mean, Buck Walter said at this day and age, you have to have seven to nine starting pitchers. The Mets have gone through all of them already. So that you have to look in their minor league system. They don't really have anyone else. So you probably have to look for the Mets to make a trade for somebody. So if you think you can get a guy who's on another team, trade for a guy who's on another team. You want to get wins. If you want to try to get a Luis Castillo, that he's been rumored to go to the Mets. There are a lot of players um, who've been rumored to go to the Mets. You know, Steve Cohen, he's willing to pay the price for it. So if you want a guy with wins, take get a guy who's possibly slightly underperforming on another team that may be traded if they're on a bad team, and he may get they may get traded, and they may, you know, get more value out of them when they come to the Mets. Yeah, the McGill thing is bad because uh, I've had him on a lot of teams. Uh, excited for him. He was off to a great start. But I think like NFBC formats, he's a drop, unfortunately, right now. I mean, if you're if – you're, uh, if you're struggling right now and you need the roster spots, you just got to go. And who's picking up next week? No one's picking up yeah. next week, so you can you can use that roster spot for someone else. The grand old rule is you can drop somebody as long as nobody's going to pick them up next week, right? Uh, if, if no one's picking up McGill next week, which I can't believe they would, you can drop them safely. Worst, worst comes to worst, you re-pick them up for a dollar, right? Uh, but So you can drop McGill, I believe. Uh, listen, it's uh, the Mets talking about the Mets' injuries in the rotation. Feels like, like a regular season, right, doesn't it?
Yep. Yeah, this, this is this is like every year, and this is why I got into this because the Mets always botch their injuries, but they're seeing to, they seem to be doing a better job because they seem to be keeping it under wraps a little more. You're not finding out the information as freely as you had in the past. Just take a note of that. Great stuff. All right, Pierre, this was a fantastic episode. Uh, I knew it would be. A lot of great information about the call-ups, some good strategy, excellent picks on the waiver wire. So I want to thank you very much for coming on the show, and please tell us uh, what's uh, going on with you and uh, all things Pierre Camus. All right. Well, yeah, always a great time. Um, so obviously, rotaballer.com. Uh, you can check out my work. I do baseball and football. Uh, so I do two articles a week, and I already mentioned that two start pitcher streamers. Uh, so looking ahead at the schedule, uh, as far as who you might want to add, get an advantage, uh, especially if you need some help in pitching and then, uh, look at Statcast for hitters. So that comes out on Mondays. Uh, so digging into some of those deep stats and some guys who might be surprising, you know, we know the Aaron judges and the John Carl Stans, the guys who lead the barrel rates, but when a guy like Jake Berger or someone like that, you know, stands out, I try to point it out and see, okay, how can this help you? So I do those articles, football off season, and of course all the behind the scenes stuff. Um, so there you have it on Twitter. I'm at Roto underscore chef. Uh, and that was a handle given to me by Scott Angle, of course, Scott the King uh, himself. So uh, it's got a stick. Definitely, you are cooking up some great stuff over at Roto Bowler. Uh, thank you. Uh, Ruvain, uh, before we go, tell us about your stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as they come. Next player up as well. And you can catch my weekly article on Roto Bowler discussing all the injuries I discussed today, as well as many others, as well as who's coming up next. Well, Pierre edits my stuff over at Roto Bowler, too. That's also where I write. I also write over at uh, Rotographs. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY. And, of course, you can listen to me right here on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs each and every week. Well, this was a fantastic show, as we've said once again. Uh, thank you again, Pierre, for joining the show. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, have a great time, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.